All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton. It is Thursday, so we are digging deeper into the Psalms, and this one is a special treat for all of my wrestling fans that are out there, because this week we see that The Rock will be victorious. Okay, not that Rock, but Jesus Christ, the Rock, the true Rock. Although, yes, it's nice to see Dwayne Johnson be victorious, but again, not that rock, because that rock loses just as often as he wins. But now, the rock that we talk about today in Psalms 59 to 61, he never loses. Even when it looks like he is losing, he is actually thoroughly winning the war. And we'll see that coming up. So we're looking at Psalms 59 through 61 this week. Just like last week we saw in 57 and 58. Psalm 59 is set to the tune of Do Not Destroy. But we have a little bit more going on here when David has this psalm written. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a victim of David when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. Now again... We have this moment, Saul seeking to kill him. When is this? Which time is this? Because we've seen the cave of Adullam. We've seen David in the Ziphites. We've seen David with the Philistines. We've seen David running around all over the place. Where is this now? Well, this is in Jerusalem. This is set between the palace of King Saul and the house where David and Saul's daughter Michael lived as husband and wife. The house that Saul sent soldiers to look in order to kill David when he fell asleep. That's all in 1 Samuel 19, verses 11 through 17. And again, this also gets Michael very much on Saul's bad side because he figures that blood is thicker than a marriage license. I mean... That's the way it normally works, right? Blood is typically thicker than a marriage license. Unfortunately, we have that today, and it does not look great when family breaks up a marriage because the family can't get along. And that is the problem with Saul and David throughout their time together. Ever since David killed Goliath, He's had a target on his back as far as Saul was concerned because of the reactions of the people as they came back, singing their psalms, Saul has killed his thousands and David's his tens of thousands. That just irked Saul, and it never led up to the day he died. Right now we're early on in that time where things are supposed to be good, between the two of them, as David was the royal psalmist and the singer in the palace, as well as the leader of the army. But now David has been seen as lacking in Saul's eyes and needs to be getting rid of. So how does David react? Well, Psalm 59 Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. 
Deliver me from those who work evil, and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see, you, Lord God of hosts, are the God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Each day they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips, for who they think will hear us. But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will watch for you, for you, O God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter, consume them in wrath. Consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. So far, Psalm 59. All right, so we have this notion that Saul has turned from David, but this is only because an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Psalm, or 1 Samuel 16, 14. I don't know why I keep saying Psalm week after week, but we're you know, talking about 1 Samuel. Well, it's all about David, so I guess it works out too. But he had done nothing for his father-in-law to seek his life. He had been faithful to him as a son-in-law. He had been faithful to his daughter as a husband. He has been faithful to his king as a warrior. The problem is he was too faithful. God blessed him too much for his faithfulness. And Saul got jealous. And so we have this over and over again. David talking about the men that Saul has brought out. Every, each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. Howling and bellowing with their mouths with swords in their lips. For they think, who will hear us? They wander about for food and growl if they don't get their fill. Saul thinks he will have the last laugh against David. But David knows that the Lord is on his side, not on Saul's. So he can sing of his strength. He can sing aloud of the steadfast love of God in the morning. Because God is his fortress. God shows him steadfast love. We have the same thing for you and me as well. God is our fortress. God is our refuge. He is the one who brings about the great things that go on in our lives. He is the one who brings us blessings. And sometimes those blessings bring up resistant spirits among our friends and family and co-workers. And we have to deal with that because the devil likes to stir up strife. And that's exactly what he has done from the beginning of time. 
ever since Genesis 3, he has been stirring up trouble everywhere he goes. But he also knows that he has been defeated. Even in David's time, he knew he would be defeated because God told him he would be defeated. That he would bruise the Savior's heel, but the Savior would crush his head. He would completely destroy him. And that's exactly what we have in Psalm 60. This is one of the longer superscriptions that are really just a listing of David's victories after being anointed king over all 12 tribes in 2 Samuel 8. To the choir master, according to Shushan Eduth, a victim of David for instruction, when he strove with Aram Naharim and with Aram Zobah, and when Joab on his return struck down 12,000 of Edom in the Valley of Salt. Again, these are just victories that have been done as David is the crowned, anointed king over all 12 tribes. But it starts off with a sad note. O God, you have rejected us, broken our defenses. You have been angry. O restore us. You have made the land to quake. You have torn it open. Repair its breaches, for it totters. You have made your people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink that made us stagger. You have set up a banner for those who fear you, that they may flee to it from the bow, that your beloved ones may be delivered, give strength and salvation by your right hand and answer us. God has spoken in his holiness. With exultation I will divide up Shechem and portion out the vale of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my wash basin. Upon Edom I cast my shoe. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go forth, O God, with our armies. O grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. Although David has been anointed king over all 12 tribes, there is still the breach between what would become the northern and southern kingdoms. And it is still there. And the reaction to it, the politicalness of it, is like having been given strong wine or enough wine to make a stagger because we can't quite keep things straight. And God sets up a banner, though, sets up a standard for people to come for refuge from all the attacks. And that, of course, is the cross of Calvary, where Jesus shed his blood, gave his body so that we might be saved. All those who are afflicted and seek to take refuge in him can escape from all their afflictions. Maybe not in this life, but in the life of the world to come, they will definitely find their relief and their escape. God had called Israel his treasured possession, and other nations are invited to join them, but those who reject his call 
will be treated as enemies. And he does. He says it. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. That becomes important later on in the history of the Old Testament as Ephraim becomes the name for the ten northern tribes, even though it's not the largest of those ten tribes. It just happens to be the easiest place to defend because of the mountains. Judah is my scepter. Judah is the ruler. Judah is where the true seat of God's power is. Not just because the king is there, but because the temple will be there. The temple will be set up where God's name will dwell. But again, if you're not on God's side, you don't reap the same benefits. Moab is my wash basin. Upon Edom, I cast my shoe. Over Philistia, I shout in triumph. Moab and Edom, cousins of the Israelites. Edom from Jacob's brother Esau. Moab from Lot. And now we have the issue where, yes, they do not want to be part of God's people. Regardless of how many times and opportunities that God gives them, they want nothing to do with the God of Israel. And sometimes that is seen by Israel as being a rejection of God for them because they want to have Moab as an ally. They want to have Edom as an ally. They would even like to have the Philistines as an ally because there are other countries like Egypt, that they could be very helpful with. But again, all of it is seen as rejection because they have rejected the notion that God will lead them and God will triumph over their enemies for them. As he promised to Joshua when they crossed the Jordan River before the Battle of Jericho, that God would go before them and wipe out the nations before them. But Israel became complacent. They began to be more worried about and putting their trust in David as the king, as the main general in the army of Israel, the one who defeated Goliath. And they reaped the consequences because they did not always win. Now we move on into Psalm 61. To the choir master with stringed instruments of David. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Lead me to the rock, not Dwayne Johnson, the rock of Jesus Christ. The rock who is a refuge but also a strong tower that brings about security and safety for those who are either inside it with the tower or on top of it with the rock. That when the floodwaters come through of the 
uh, foreign armies of all the calamities that they may be safe. And I wonder sometimes if maybe the images of a tower in the Psalms may reflect back to the Tower of Babel and to be a true tower built to God's glory and honor as his people seek refuge in it. Not just being the greatest monstrosity built to be able to go up into heaven by ourselves. Verse 4, over and over again, with this dwelling in the Lord's tent forever, being kept under the wings of God in his shelter. We hear this again in Psalm 15, 1. Psalm 23, 6, 27, 4, 37, 27, and 29, 132, 14, and then also in Psalm 91 as well, as we have those moments of seeking shelter in the Lord, because we know that he will win, because he has won already. And then verses 6 and 7 of this psalm, asking for the life of the king to be prolonged, as we see many times in the ancient world, especially in the prophets, that you have people addressing the king. May the king live forever, or long live the king. I mean, we still have that in even modern times, especially in the United Kingdom. But may he be enthroned forever before God. This sounds very similar to the promise given to David in 2 Samuel 7, that there would be an offspring that would sit on the throne of Israel forever. May the king be enthroned forever. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. Why do we have those watching over him? Because Jesus Christ, the true rock, is faithfulness and steadfast love incarnate. He is the one who triumphs over all evil. He is the one who will be victorious. Because even when it looked like he had lost on the cross, that truly was the beginning of the victory march. All right, that's it for this week. I thank you for being here to dig deeper into the Psalms with me, especially as we look at our great victorious King Jesus, the rock upon whom we can find refuge, especially when we seem to be flooded by all the theologies out there that seek to wrestle away the truth from us. But I thank you again for digging deeper with me this week so that you may be better equipped to wrestle with those theologies and see that the rock does win. Amen.